This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. There's so many things we want in a relationship, but we're actually not open to. Mm. And we don't know what to do with it when we get it. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, sometimes five. Today is going to be like more six or sevens, but it's going to be a really great episode. Trust me on this one. But rather than talk about their successes or wins, uh, we like to talk about their failures, more specifically, the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, uh, my guest today is the founder of Broken Heels, which is a space primarily created for Black women to grow, love, heal, and be heard. Through her company as a self-work facilitator, she helps individuals within the Black community unpack their relationships with themselves and others so that they can feel whole again. So in other words, y'all, she helps Black folks unpack their shit. She's a mentor, a coach, and a writer, which is what I know her for the most, specifically her beautifully written, short and sweet, but timely IG posts. So without further ado, Natasha Helwig, aka Tash, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Awesome bios, man. I was like, <laughs> all right, okay, give me that credit. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what's so funny about that? Every time I read someone's like bio background and they hear it rhyme back to themselves, they're like, hold on a second. They're either like, is he talking about me or I was I like, know. did I send that to you? <laughs> I don't remember sending you. <laughs> and the other the other side to that, Tash, is that. They're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did all of that because it's it's a different experience, right? When you when you hear somebody else say it, so for sure. So on that note, Tash, I know I I gave you a, a bit of a lightweight intro. I was reading through a lot of your stuff, and you really do a lot of the stuff within the space. So for my listeners, uh, for my audience that are just being introduced to you for the first time, why don't you tell them a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and where your inspiration came from to to get involved in what you're doing right now. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, It's funny. I think you might be the first person who used the word inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, My story, my background comes out of an abuse story. So Mm -hmm. I spent a decade in abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I was young. It was uh, dating, violence, things like that. Um, And so at that time, I would say therapy, all those things were still pretty taboo and there was no social media. Right. Uh, and so I started a Tumblr page and I was Tumblr. Shout out to all the Tumblr Shout people. Out Tumblr. I yeah. still have a Tumblr page. I started a Tumblr page anonymously to share my abuse story. Mm. Uh, and what transpired out of that was other women started writing into me, right. all you know, many different types of women and background culture, um, sharing their abuse stories. And it kind of just tumbled from there. I uh, began hosting events to raise money or donations Mm -hmm. for shelters and charities that were um, working against violence against women. Um, And then a colleague of mine said, Tash, like, I think you should life coach. 
Mm. I had no, I had no confidence in mm-hmm. being a coach, but I took the certificate and I was like, all right, we'll see where this goes. And I started hosting support groups and all that. Now where it shifted for me, uh, was probably around 2017, 2018, right. uh, started, I would say that was more from, I know George Floyd and BLM and all that stuff, yeah. but for me, my heart was really impacted by the Philando Castile mm. video. And so I l- started to lean in with a colleague of mine, Nigel Birch, into hosting conversation events in the city. Mm-hmm. So we in Toronto, we would host these uh, nights where we just invite people. We weren't intentional about saying it was for, you know, the Black community, but right. we were we naturally attracted that to us and we would talk about relationships, love, um, conflict, everything. Um, just a nice, beautiful forum, wine, all that stuff and get everyone in the city debating. And in that experience, I found myself beginning to attract one-on-one clients that were black women that were saying, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z in my relationship, or I'm struggling to attract someone um, that I feel is like-minded or I I find myself similarly to my own story getting Mm -hmm. into a lot of toxic or abusive relationships. So it's definitely been a journey. Broken Heels has been around for 11, 12 years now. Wow, congratulations. Um, Thank you. And I mean, it started as advocacy for domestic violence, against domestic violence, and has turned into this space to just hold us as women and people um, to feel safe and heard and understood. Right, right. No, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that background. And, you know, your journey into uh, becoming a life coach, uh, a facilitator in this space reminds me. So I did a, a course called uh, landmark. Uh, maybe you're familiar at the landmark I forum. Too. I did the yeah. landmark forum, just a forum before the true diehard landmark come for me and say, hey, you didn't do all the courses. Um, <laughs> no, I just did the forum. I'm, I'm being transparent about that. And I remember in my particular session, there was a, there was a woman um, who was now on her second marriage. Mm-hmm. Her first marriage, she was abused by her husband. She actually was forthcoming to say that. Her husband, um, I think she said, raped her in that marriage. And, you know, that trauma from that experience was carrying over into her new marriage. And it was impacting her ability to be intimate with her new husband. And that was her thing. And I remember there was like a dialogue between her and the instructor. And the one thing I remember the instructor saying, actually, was two things. He was saying something like, you know what? no one can ever change that experience for you and no one can take that away from you. But I'm going to challenge you to think of it like this. How can you use your experience to now like open up other doors or opportunities? Cause you know, in, in landmark, they talk about the racket, right? That's like a terminology. They use the story. Everyone has a story that they're playing in, in your head. That yeah. story is either empowering you or disempowering you. So he was challenging her to be like, listen, I'm very sensitive to your experience, your situation, but how can you use that story to empower you and perhaps others? And when I hear you talk about your journey, you took a, a negative situation, right? Negative experiences, 
and you're able to transform it over time. Granted, you did some healing and now you're helping others who are going through it or who have been through it and helping them to heal as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I remember that um, terminology from Landmark and the Rockets. And it's funny that you, you brought that up, like that healthy relationship after Mm -hmm. the traumatic ones, Um, you know, full transparency. That's my, uh, that's where I am in my personal journey now. Mm -hmm. um, After those experiences, I spent a lot of time uncommitted, just discovering what I liked about men again. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I would say challenge myself to attract healthy men um, to, to seek out what does healthy look like. And I may, I think I've spent about six or seven years doing that um, mm-hmm. or now being in the relationship I'm in now. And it's hard. Like mm. it's beautiful and it's hard. Like it's, right. um, I would say the most amount of healing is really happening now. Like mm. I did a lot of therapy and there's so much self-awareness and, and things that I worked through prior to him. Um, right. But you know what you don't know till you get into something new. Um, and what's interesting about that healthy relationship now is that you realize you're, you've picked up so many negative perceptions from your past experiences. So I'm a, um, quote unquote student of A Course in Miracles, if you're Mm -hmm. familiar with that. And, um, I'm learning about just what, how my thinking has driven so many of my actions and mm. um and how i what survival mode looks like now so i've experienced trauma since i've witnessed trauma since a little kid right. and so um i've without knowing it most of my existence has been with this weight of feeling that i need to take care of everyone and right. the more you are is the more I need to carry you and support you and be there and so I initially was choosing men who I related to their brokenness Mm. Um, and now uh you know with all that work and I I definitely when I think about the space I was in when I attracted who I'm with now it was like so happy and so energetic and just really within myself and connected to myself um and now and now being with him it resurfaced resurfaced so many things that mm. i didn't know had existed in my perceptions of what it means to be in an actual relationship right. so you can have perception of you know you first pick up perceptions of relationships and parents and stuff as we grow up as kids mm-hmm. um, and then you use that along with especially as women the fairy tales we we're told disney and you right. know the shining armor is going to come and sweep you off your feet and you enter relationships kind of in this romanticized way. Like if we go on dates and if he hugs me and he kisses me and um, we're just going to get married and have kids and, (laughs) you know, and then all your shows up, you start mirroring to each other, all the bad stuff and you don't know how to do that work. Um, And so with all that awareness now and, and being in, I guess I'd say my first adult relationship, (laughs) Um, it's a, it's more work because now you're like, is this my like trauma? Is this my trigger or is this intuition? Right. And I trust myself. Do I trust him? Mm. Um, what lens am I seeing him from? Right. Uh, 
is he actually doing something that I need to, you know, feel protect, like protect myself against, mm-hmm. or am I just so used to protecting myself right. that I'm treating him the same way? So it's definitely like when I, when you said that um, she found that a lot of things are resurfacing mm-hmm. is again, it's like, that's a present journey I'm in now. Right. Um, he has been so patient and kind. Right. It's hard because I don't know what I don't know. Right, right. Yeah. No, yeah. no. That's there's so many things that you shared there. One of the things I want to pull on for a second here is you mentioned through like your your coaching, you mentioned that, you know, you're you're helping these women in particular deal with like, I guess, past traumas in their current relationship. So what would you say? Is there a commonality? Is there a, a common denominator? Like what's the like most common thing you see women bring up when they come to you what if there is one uh yeah there is i think um lately mm-hmm. think about this so lately the common denominator i see is people creating these lists or ideas mm, and the list start from sierra <laughs> <laughs> so the prayer, the list, they're creating yeah. ideas of what they want, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that's just the first step. Right. So one of the activities that I do with women is I'm like, all right, let's talk about the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but many times we're describing, you know, if we date men or women, we're saying he is like this, she is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're listing everything they're supposed to do and how they are supposed to show up. Right. And so I had learned this activity from another coach, Mark Groves, where he says, um, you know, write it as we. So really mm. describe the relationship as like, what are we doing together? And mm. that and that's just the first step. So, okay, we we are loyal together. We date to lead to marriage. We travel we are ambitious we're business owners whatever you desire mm-hmm. but look at the list and ask yourself how much of that are you doing and embodying on your own right and is that there's another step to that it's like i can't ask and i know sometimes it's controversial but ideally we sh- we really can't ask for something that we're mm-hmm. not in I'm out here saying I want six figures, but I work. In- <laughs> I was just going to get to that. <laughs> you know, like I want That's- you to be ambitious, but I don't have vision. It right. doesn't, it doesn't. And it's again, I'm all about, I do believe in miracles and right. receiving what you desire, but I also feel that there's something energetically that needs to show up in you to attract that. Right. Uh, and, and then even the next step even further is he, you know, he says, now let's take stock of who you have been dating. Right. When you look at your list, consider, you know, how many of these items have you received mm-hmm. in the past and ask yourself, and, and more often than not, many of us are, have only dated half or less of our list. And, mm-hmm. and so if we're dating 25% of the things we're asking for. So there's something again, energetically where you feel I need to settle or I should tolerate this, uh, you know, or maybe I'm scared of being alone. So there's layers to that conversation. It's not just write a list and check it twice and put it down in the Bible and say, this is going to happen. Like we need, there's more to it. Um, And so I find that's been a very common issue um, is we have expectations mm-hmm. uh, of love when 
when I think that love in its purest form is unconditional and really what we're saying is we have expectations for how a relationship should be right um, right and and so on that part it, it's funny um my mind went to so many different places and so you know being that you are an expert in this space and you're talking with women about their relationships and past traumas and we're just talking about the list you hear a lot of this especially in the last couple of years with Kevin Samuels, I don't know how you, you felt about that individual, but you know, a lot of people uh, didn't have kind words to say. But one of the things that came up during, I guess, his presence was um when you're asking for this list, you know, I want a high value man and I hate I I, I don't I don't even like that term anymore because it's just like, come on. Um <laughs> but I, I get what what people are trying to say, but what are you ultimately saying to women that are like, hey, he needs to have this, but it falls into these kind of traditional roles? Like, so I get the six figure aspect because it's tied to being able to be a provider. And we just somehow came to this number that, you know, a person needs to be make six figures to be a strong, you know, provider. So do you kind of push back on that? Like saying like, hey, do you make, you know, six figures yourself? Or like, how do you talk to these women that might be like out of alignment with what they're trying to to look for, if that makes sense to you? Um, so I, I don't push back. Mm-hmm. I ask them to be creative. Right. So um, again, if, if there are things that you are looking for, how are you showing up in that way? What spaces are you in to to again attract that and do you really believe that you'll know what to do when you receive that without mm. falling to the bag because the reality is too is uh, you know using that example that of that six figures mm-hmm. um if you are attracting someone who is ambitious who has this vision and and wants to go further um you'll there's a lot that comes with that amen you know there's a lot that comes with how he will have to show up, how he right. networks, how busy he is, mm-hmm. if he's going to come home every evening, if he's going to have to entertain someone that you might be triggered by. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and so I, I try to lean towards really considering values over material. Right. Uh, and so like you said, it's like, I, yeah, there's, okay, he makes six figures or there's He's ambitious. He's hardworking. Right. He's a protector. He's a provider. Which one matters most? I actually had this conversation with someone just a few days ago because I had her do this list. Mm-hmm. And when she looked at the things she didn't embody, it it had a, a lot to do with her communication skills. So she mm-hmm. said, we communicate well, we trust, we this, we that, all the intangible things all the actual loving traits and she was honest in recognizing that she's great at planning a date and she's great at um playing with you and traveling mm-hmm. but she doesn't always trust she mm-hmm. isn't a great communicator and like which one matters more right like you know i i made a post just recently i was like you're telling me you want six figures but like does he pray for you <laughs> which one and i think that it's that trade between spirit and material and finding a balance right. um so I, I tend to 
So I'm not the type of coach who tells people what to do. I'm right, very right. ask questions and help you get to your own answer. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm about like get in alignment with the things you are asking for. Again, full transparency in my own life, I can say being with men who um, have been violent or, you know, every relationship I've been in till this one, I've experienced betrayal, um, cheating, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I made my so-called list, I was like, he needs to be charismatic and Mm -hmm. ambitious. And, um, you know, dating someone who's entrepreneurial, like sometimes I got to check myself. I got to say like, he has to be out there. He, I asked for a charismatic person. Like, am I really open to receiving this person in all his charisma and in his beautiful high energy, the way he shows up, or am I intimidated by it because of my fear? Right. Right. Yeah. No, so much, so much there. And speaking of your, your post, right. Cause that's how (laughs) I found you. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd do something different with with my with this episode. And I've picked a few of your posts and we're gonna like unpack these. So okay. and there's yeah. so many good ones you could you could pick for for years off, literally. So the first one you wrote, uh, the most loving thing I've done for myself recently is simply decide I'm not in control. I'm not in control of what someone may think, say, or do to me. All I can control are the boundaries I set or don't set and my responses. Mm. So my question is here, Tash, how do you personally deal with control or letting go of control? And how does one get to that point? The more things I fear is the more I try to play chess. Right, right. Um, so the last two years... I have dived full time into being an entrepreneur and I've started my first healthy relationship, as I mentioned, Um, both very new things for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking to the work life, I always had a nine to five. I always was very secure with income. And as an entrepreneur, you know that there's not ebbs and flows. You don't know it ebbs and flows. And so when, when it's flowing, like I'm great mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when it's ebbing, I'm in scarcity. I'm in lack. Right. I'm, oh my God, I need to do this. I need to do that. And I lose what I end up losing. There's a, what, what I discovered in myself, especially last year, which this was my experience last year mm-hmm. was being in lack and scarcity because I didn't have a set paycheck coming in. Mm-hmm. What I end up losing is love. Mm-hmm. I, I end up working from a place of, I'm desperate for the money and not right. for a place of impact. Right. Um, and so what I'm starting to control now in my work life, I'm trying to chase after clients. I'm mm-hmm. trying, to, I'm all of a sudden losing my purpose and why in my business and thinking I should go look for a job that's not going right. to make me happy. I'm just basically trying to control all these elements because I'm in so much fear And then similarly, um, and the post I would say was a bit more in reference to relationships and love. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly, again, having gone through so much trauma in the past, um, rather than it's so, 
we think it's easy to lead with love. We're like, oh, we love them. So we're just mm -hmm. going to be loving and we aren't. <laughs> we right. love them. And now we've opened up ourselves more to once you decide to really trust and love someone, you're opening yourself up to that possibility that they may harm you. Absolutely. And, and you can lean into that or you can hold on to being loving. And right. I can damn well say I have not for the first part of our relationship held on to being loving i have right. tried to control Protect, and not yeah. him per se i'm not the you know tell me what you're doing yeah every, every day person but i you know i'm i set parameters like okay i in my mind i've built patterns well if he's coming here every day i'm safe i'm safe right. then he's like babe, I'm going home. It's like, red alert, red alert. Why is he going home? <laughs> like, right. it's like these things that they throw me off course because I'm indirectly trying to be controlling um, with my love. I'm trying mm. to be, I'm, I'm so worried about being betrayed that instead of leading from place of giving my man love, I'm giving right. him fear. Right. Um, Actually, think this is like so common especially these days in relationships but the language isn't there it's still like and that's why i said it felt hard to answer because it's still a language i'm also trying to learn but right. we there's so many things we want in a relationship but we're actually not open to mm. and we don't know what to do with it when we get it so i now have this person in my life who is loving and trusting um but as I said earlier, I have to see him as loving and trusting. Because if I see him from the lens that he can hurt me, then I'm going to treat him like someone who can hurt me. Right. Versus treating versus continuing to fill his cup, um, be loving and let go of that control and just trust that I'm safe. And even right. if I'm not safe, even if you know something were to happen, knowing on the other side of that that I'm okay because I'm grounded in me because I'm grounded in God or faith or whatever. Right. Uh, but I think control, it very much lends to also that faith. Um, and when your faith isn't strong, you become very controlling. When mm -hmm. you're in fear, you become very controlling. When you're leading from lack and scarcity, you become very controlling because you, you're protecting yourself. Yeah, it's a defense mechanism, right? Yeah. And you think about it, like you said something that was was so clutch, is so key. You know, we say that we want all these things, but when we actually get into, let's say, a relationship or what have you, are we really opening ourselves up to to receive those things fully, right? Um, and there's also something I came across, I don't know if it was a, an, another podcast or something on YouTube, and she was some like, you know, relationship expert of some sort. And she said, you know, in order for you to have like a high value relationship, you have to be willing to reject and be rejected. Mm -hmm. And what she meant by that is like, you know, be in a position to say things that might be super uncomfortable that you know that, you know, could possibly, you know, hurt your your partner, your what have you, your loved one. And at the same time, be able to receive that same kind of message back to you that can also like hurt you. Right. And and that's kind of um something that came to mind when you were just kind of sharing about, you know, um, setting boundaries and uh, things of that nature. 
Um, I read, I read yeah. a post this week and she said one of the things that she had to learn with her partner was to listen and witness mm. and sit in the discomfort and mm. recognize where his discomfort was. Right. Um, I think a lot of times and where conflict happens is we we communicate or maybe not that great again with language, but oftentimes we don't give the other person grace um, and try to listen beneath what they're saying. Right. Um, so we hear what they say on a surface level and then we t- we we get defensive, we feel attacked and then we react. Um out of our discomfort and now the two of you are at odds because no one's really listening mm-hmm. and no one's truly understanding how the other person feels. Right. And and the listening yeah. one is a big thing. On that note of listening, I, I, it's funny how we all hear these things, but they're very difficult to practice. So anyone listening, I'm not saying I've mastered any of these things. I'm just saying I've come across them just in case people try to come for me. You know, <laughs> like I'm not a guru. I'm not out here being an expert. No, no, no. I'm just sharing information here um the listening thing i once heard some time ago that many people listen to respond versus listen to understand mm-hmm. right and i once heard someone ask will smith on a podcast i think it was the, the jay shetty podcast and he said oh, jay said he asked him if there was one thing you could change about the world what would it be and i think will's response was um when someone talks you have to repeat the last sentence of what they said or something like that, right? To kind of reaffirm that you actually heard um, what they said. And kind of going back to the, you know, control piece, right? I have a mantra I developed in, in 2020 during the pandemic when we all had a little bit more time on our hands. And one of the mantras I developed was focus on what you can control and learn to let go of everything else easy to kind of understand, very hard to kind of do. And then I discovered, Tash, that like letting go, whatever that is for you, is also easy to kind of understand, but it's hard to do depending on what that is, right? Letting go, and I've discovered that letting go of whatever challenge issue is a skill, right? It's a skill that we all have to develop. And some of us are better at letting go at certain things versus others. Do you think that we truly let go, though? Mm. I I remember when I, you know, I came out of the like last physically abusive relationship and everyone and their mom was like, you just got to let it go. You just got to let it go. And I, I, at a certain point, I almost felt insulted um, because I was like, well, give me the prescription. Tell me (laughs) how. And I've had points in life where if I were to think back and it it's easy, mm-hmm. I am not traumatized. I, I don't feel any nothing. I can think back to the moments and be f- totally fine. And I'm like, wow, like I think I've moved on. Right. And then 10 years later, one small thing, I could be mm-hmm. driving that area of the city. A trigger. And, yeah. And I think to myself, I'm like, so do we ever act out short of maybe hypnosis? Do we right. actually? go that's that's a great question it's so funny you you mentioned that i was listening to something this week actually with um uh meg meg robbins i think that's her name she did that powerful ted talk and she was talking about she shared this story about 
her and her family were driving there involved in a serious car accident where the car actually flipped, but no one was seriously injured. No one died. But she was saying that how her and her, I think her mother both have different triggers mm. for that accident for mm. her. Cause it was during the winter. It's the sound of crunching snow. So when yeah. your foot hits the snow, it just reminds her of that getting in a car. No problem. Going through traffic. No problem. Her, her, her mother, it was completely different. It was like if, if someone made like a sudden stop in the car or something like that, that would be the trigger to the accident. So to answer your question, I think, you know, I think for certain traumatic experiences, I don't think you can truly like let go, but I do think over time, perhaps the meaning that's associated with that experience can evolve and change where it's maybe not as triggering. So for me personally, one of my triggers is when I was seven, my mom was driving us to church. And this is back in the day before trucks couldn't go into the left-hand lane. And a truck, uh, one of those 16-wheelers came over and hit our car on the 401. Mm. And we spun out of control on the highway, hit the guardrail and hit my side. And mm. till this day, Whenever I'm driving next to a truck, Tash, my brain does this thing where I go like, I'm going to let it pass me or I'm going to zoom past it. My, I, I go into like, like it's very conscious. It becomes hyper conscious, right? Without even me thinking about it. My brain's just like, I know this moment. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, no, that's a very, very good question though. And um, yeah, perhaps you're right. Maybe we we don't fully let go, but I do feel like at some point we can perhaps change their association to it. Now I want to move on to something else you wrote and you wrote, you got to learn to, you got to learn to take your ego out of things. Many missed opportunities and connections to great people get lost because you get, you let your ego run the show. Now I have a similar thought. My thought is that I believe we've, we've cheated ourselves out of opportunities more than we've actually failed at opportunity. So going for that business that made me want to go back to school, whatever it is. So why do you believe ego is the root of missed opportunities and connections? I, so I use the term ego to describe it's like, and this is coming from a course in miracles. Mm -hmm. So ego is that term to describe uh, the fear, jealousy, scarcity, Mm. lack. So I'd say like the opposite of love. Right. Uh, so in that particular post, I was thinking about, again, those times where um, any of those other emotions, fear, right. for example, fear causing you to not approach someone or um, envy blocking your, your vision of a, you know, a possible connection you can make with someone who right. could really help amplify both of you. Um, So I use, yeah, I use the term ego, but I know that many people interpret ego as like arrogance. Right. That's how I was, I was taking it. Or being cocky. And I mean, that in itself too, can definitely, um, if you're showing, if we were to look at it from that perspective, the idea is that you're basically saying you're not coachable. So if you are showing up as too arrogant or cocky, Mm-hmm. Um, level of op- the amount of opportunities you can miss just because you feel you can do it on your own or you don't need anyone or um, 
there there's that perspective also but i was looking at it more from a place of like you again your perceptions of a person place or thing if they're mm-hmm. in, they're in the, a negative perception you you won't lead from a place of opportunity or right or love or yeah yeah and, and so for i'm glad you you um explained that because i was definitely looking at it from like when you said ego thinking of someone that's overconfident or cocky or you know thinking that they're too big or something like that but when you explain it as being all encompassing and you included fair cuz for me i think of fair as the reason why people don't go after you know opportunities whatever that is you know whether it be fear of failure, fear of rejection or criticism, what have you. And honestly, I believe, you know, the reason why the world isn't as great as it could be is because of fear. I totally understand that fear in itself isn't totally bad. It can be, it it does have some good use, but I believe like, if you think about like from a career standpoint, that person like yourself two years ago, who has a thriving business but still has a nine to five, and there could be that fear that says, "No, nah, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go yeah. full time." And then from them not doing that doesn't allow them to feel fully fulfilled. And because they're not also doing that, the people out there that could find true value and meaning in their service don't get to experience that in its fullness because they're not able to be available like that right so there's this like trickle down butterfly effect that i think impacts us all throughout the globe yeah and so um how how ego or fear is described is a lack of love Mm. in the course so they say it's a lack of love and i as i've been sort of learning more about this um i think about when when we don't show up as our best selves, so when we're doubting, right. when we're fearful, what we're saying um, to God is that we're imperfect. Mm. And so if the idea is that, you know, God has made us in his image, and I'm not trying to take it to like this spiritual religious thing, but if the, yeah. the idea is that if, again, you, you're faithful and you believe that, um you know, there is this higher power and that you're created by this higher power, then how are you now doubting his creation and especially doubting your own ability? Um, Yeah. And so in that doubt, in that fear, ego, whatever we want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, we aren't placing any trust. We're, we're closing ourselves off. We're not being open to opportunities, to blessings, abundance, any of that. Right. Mm -hmm. No, very powerful. All right. My next one I pulled from you. <laughs> you're like, oh, love, what else? Are you I know. I'm like, you're the first okay. <laughs> now you're going to be all in your head when you write these now. <laughs> um, no. So the third one here is, does this decision support where I want to go or am I continuing to self-sabotage? Mm. So what do you believe holds us back from making the right decisions in life? <sighs> I, us, ourselves, mm-hmm. our, um, the experiences we've had, uh, things people have said to us, mm-hmm. um, and it, it varies. So, you know, that story, with, yeah, you know that how they say like, um, two sons grow up in a, 
home with an alcoholic father, one becomes an alcoholic and one doesn't. Right. Um, and I think that's true in many scenarios. I think um, one person could go through um, an experience you know, an experience of abuse, like maybe mm-hmm. I have and can turn it into a story and a platform and another person will continue to re- repeat cycles. Um, I don't know. There's no right or wrong. It's easy to see, uh, oh, well, if she's, you know, turn it, you know, turned her life around that that's the right direction. Mm-hmm. But you also don't know like where my mind is at, if I'm not still struggling with the self-doubt, if I'm not sabotaging new experiences, um, just because on the outside, it looks, it looks better. And so um, when it comes to our decisions and not sabotage, again, it's so layered. Mm -hmm. Um, I always ask when I'm making a decision, I look again to my values Mm -hmm. and I'll ask myself, like, does this particular decision or thing I want to do bring me peace or so, and I know what my core values are. So it may not always be peace for everyone. It could be joy and happiness. It could be abundance. Um, Will this decision rebuild my faith? Like you, you have to know what, you know, what you're standing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and use those values to help you move forward in a way that you're you're feeling grounded and confident but sabotage self-sabotage is like it's not something again that we're aware of it's it's mm-hmm. also it's very new and there's things that we many of us do that are ingrained in us right um, that like one one of the things that became ingrained in me after abusive relationships was to not commit. Mm. But I didn't know I was not committing. Right. I was entering every relate anybody I did meet in that time span open. I thought I was being open. I was interested in getting to know them. I um interested in dating. But if they said you're my girlfriend, I froze. Like I freaked mm. like inside. I was like, oh, what do you mean? I don't want to be a girlfriend. Right. <laughs> like, and that was there was nothing leading up to that point that told me that that wasn't where I wanted to go, mm-hmm. but my sab, my own sabotage. Cause my, my way of sabotaging was I wasn't ready and I wasn't ready to do the work. It's the other mm-hmm. things to be asking for stuff that we don't actually want to do the work for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, when I think about sabotage in that way, it's, we find ways to end things. We find ways to leave things. We, we accuse other people of things right. rather than looking at ourselves um, because we ultimately still do not believe that we're worth that thing. Right. No. And I think something you, you called out there that I also read recently or, or heard recently on a podcast and you said, you know, and it was talking about like, you know, how to trust your gut and your feelings and stuff. But ultimately the lady was saying, learn to make decisions uh, also based on your values, not just, you know, that gut feeling, right? Yeah. And I've never heard it put that way. That makes makes perfect sense. So I just hearing you say that now um just reminded me of that particular comment. And, you know, it's it's funny when you talk about, you know, yourself in the sense that 
you know, when someone would say, hey, I want you to be my girlfriend or whatever it is, you'd be like, no, right? You, you go into this kind of protection mode. It, it's, and I think we do, I think we do some of those things because you think about the people who end up in the same type of relationships. I think it speaks to familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you grew up in an abusive household and you're used to seeing your parents, let's say, argue in an abusive manner, right? You might, there might be some deep seated thought mm-hmm. that you think that's normal. And so you'll kind of like seek that out. Maybe not directly, yeah. but you'll, you'll, and you're kind of, that would become your comfort zone in a weird kind of way, if that makes sense. For sure. It makes complete sense. Um, a big thing I had to learn was the difference between intensity and intimacy. Mm. Um, most, I grew up in an intense home and um, my parents communicated very strongly with each other. <laughs> uh, you know? um, and there was right. a lot of things in that relationship that um, wouldn't, equate to a healthy relationship. And so the relationships I was choosing were felt intense and I thought that was love. Right. Uh, and so being able to transform that and seek out, you know, what does a healthy love look and feel like? Um, what does intimacy feel like? And also not confusing intimacy with now, oh, it's boring. Mm-hmm. A lot of people you know, see, meet someone and they think because there isn't fireworks that this is boring. Right. Uh, not every, everyone's story is different. Right. And I feel like that's a, that's a tough one for a lot of folks. Cause I've heard, again, I've heard or seen, they talk about like the five-year itch, the seven-year itch, the 10-year yeah. itch. There's all these different benchmarks. And I think that's a tough one. Cause I think a lot of people, there's a novelty, right? We, we're, I think we're hardwired for novelty. And so I think a part of the challenges when it comes to long lasting relationships is how do you kind of keep that novelty going? Right. And I think that's where the work part comes in. So, you know, anyone that's like in their first year, so it's like, yeah, everything is brand new, right? First vacation, first trip, first time meeting the family, first Christmas, first holidays. There's a lot of firsts. So there's a lot of novelty but like after you've done that once twice three times how do you keep that excitement so i definitely think that could be a challenge for a lot of folks as well i think it's Uh, important that you really build friendship with someone mm -hmm, absolutely Mm because you can always rely on a solid foundation um i did want to bring this up because i i feel like i'd be remiss because i feel like it's such a big such a big part of our lives today so you wrote the illusion of options really got y'all fumbling genuine <laughs> people. How much do you believe social media and dating apps contribute to that illusion? I hate, <laughs> I feel like social media is like a big ass mall. It's like a shopping mm. mall. You know, when you go, you walk into like Macy's or like the Bay or something and there's just ads everywhere. And it's like the perfume right. aisle. Like try this. Try. Like, I yeah. feel like that's social media. Yeah. You see, so many people and their relationships and then you see so you first see these people that you want to use as your benchmarks for what your relationship should be like yo i know i know for sure i had will and jada on my vision board (laughs) right right up until the damn red table talk the the entanglement (laughs) you know and it's like so we're idolizing what we think are awesome um because of what people are putting up and 
The problem with social media and using Instagram in particular, it started as just a photo sharing, right? Mm -hmm. So because it started that way, there's the foundation was that there was some authenticity and Mm -hmm. real, you know, information here. Then it began over the years very quickly to transform into a place where it's mostly business owners. Uh, And so now you can't separate real from fake. And a lot of this stuff is staged. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that in itself contribute, like everyone's seeing a relationship and they're like, this is how I want mine to be. And then you throw in all the single attractive people that are on Mm -hmm. social media or using apps to make themselves look attractive. And you you feel that any woman or man can come a dime a dozen. Right. you know, the minute you go on a date and someone says something that makes you uncomfortable, like, you yep, throw next. Yeah, next. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially with the dating apps and that the whole swipe in and all that stuff. It just it it makes people feel that they and I'm again I'm not saying you don't have options. Yeah. But you know, one's trying. There's no right. level of effort. It's like I want you to show up ready made and perfect right on day one. I, you know, it's funny because it you're you're absolutely right on that. And to your point, social media has become like a highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. I've heard, you know, my pastor say many years ago, he showed a picture of him and his family. I think they were vacationing somewhere in like South Carolina, North Carolina. And they're on the beach. And he's like, he brings up these two photos. One, they're kind of getting their stuff together. And the other one they're all smiling. He's like, which photo do you think we're the most happy in? Right. And everyone's obviously choosing the one where everyone's smiling. He's like, that photo actually took us about 12 times. I was not happy. I was annoyed because it was the 12th time, but he was just speaking to the fact that like, you can't just go off of these images you see on social media because you don't have the context. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost with social media Mm -hmm. is they don't get the context. They don't see the backstory, right? And I know this now consciously when I go on there, just because you see, you know, a smiling photo of a couple, it doesn't mean that everything is all gravy. And sometimes it's so funny when I hear people come, how to have a conversation, be like, oh, what happened to them? I, they, I saw their photos. They're all smiling together. They're holding hands. And you're like, what happened? Because you, you don't have the context, right? And so, and what's also interesting is, um, I don't know if you know who Paul Bronson is. Um, he's- yes. He's like a popular like dating coach, whatever. And he was on a, a podcast recently and he said, um, I think if they came up with a dating app where you only got to choose three people a week, so you only had three options per week. He's like, I think that would improve people's connections because then you would have to be more intentional about mm-hmm. who you swipe because you can't just, you know, swipe, 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 swipe. I would even say three a month. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, like you got to spend some time with these people. Right. And put in the work. Yeah. Put in the work. Um, my last question for you, um, before I quickly ask you some rapid fire questions. Um, I often do surveys and I did one around fair. And I basically had options like, you know, what do you fear the most? Is it public speaking? Is it death, criticism from family and friends? Or was it like being alone? And the most selected, it was actually a close between being alone and then criticism. So focusing on the alone part, right? What do you say 
to, because most of your clients are young women. What do you say to a young woman that's like in their thirties or whatever, and that's afraid to be alone? What's your advice to that person? Hmm. So I have never had anyone express to me they were afraid of being alone. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. So what would I say? Because mm -hmm. I'm a person who's actually very comfortable in aloneness. Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's a there's a difference between loneliness and mm -hmm. aloneness. Right. And if you're feeling scared of being lonely, I then there's work to be done on how comfortable you are with just yourself. Right. Um, lonely means that you're distracting yourself with the presence of other people. You're not spending time to get to know what your interests are, your, your hobbies, um, what your body feels like, like there's a lot in there, but lonely to me, that fear set is like an indicator to me that you're not comfortable with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You're not comfortable with your own presence and others is just a distraction. Right. Um, when you can shift from that to aloneness, uh, aloneness means you have choice. So you mm -hmm. like, you're, you're, you're happy to be with yourself. You're mm -hmm. inviting other people into your space is like a pleasure. Mm -hmm. It's a privilege. You're because your cup is like so full, you can pour into others. Right. Um, so, that's I would probably take the conversation in that direction and right. um ask them to challenge themselves to get to a place of aloneness. Uh, you know, one of the things I've had to learn about myself, even with a partner, you can feel lonely or right. alone for word you want to use while even in a relationship. Right. So the physical presence of someone isn't going to change that that fear. Mm. Uh, and so you got to figure that out at whatever stage you're at um, by yourself or with someone. When you're in a place of aloneness, like that comfort, you find that when you're with someone, you will ask for time for space and not for a right. place of need a break. But you'll say, like, I need a moment to reset because you got to fill your cup again. Right. I wrote a post about that, that I said, like, a, a great cyclical like relationship is one where you can go to someone and say like you're both full mm -hmm. you've poured into each other so much but now your cups are drained and so it's like hey babe I need a moment a day two days whatever to myself so I can refill my cup so that I can continue to love you and pour into you mm -hmm. um, but loneliness means your cup's empty whether you have somebody or not Right. And so um, it's detaching from this idea that it's contingent on someone else. Right. I love yeah. that. I love that. Now, Tash, rapid fire questions is where I ask you three quick questions. You got to give me the first thought answer that popped into your mind. So the first one goes, how do, how do you work through a bad mood? So what's your, what's your bad mood hack? Dance. Dance. I love <laughs> it. I love it. And reggae music I and R&B. <laughs> um what's a quote you heard that makes no sense or that you used to believe in and now you're like no oh, that's that's total bullshit oh shit that one's rapid fire um 
total bullshit. Uh, you are what you attract. Mm. Even though I kind of touched on it a bit, I think yeah. the that's not always the case. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. nuanced for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. My last one here is what's a favorite quote or mantra that you live by? Oh man, this is a new one I just stumbled into, which was, are you planting trees so you don't have to get out of the woods? Mm. Oh, so, so for my listeners, for my audience, what does that mean? What does that mean? Unpack that real quick. That, that lends to the sabotage. So mm-hmm. uh, a, like a quick story I could share is um, in regards to scarcity around work. I keep mm-hmm. applying to jobs um versus challenging myself to consider what's working or not working in my business like this mm-hmm. is what I was about last year so i'm constantly um putting things in front of me planting more seeds more trees versus actually considering like how do i get out of this situation that i'm in i'm wow. just yeah or um and recognizing that there's an easy solution that will take me out of the situation, mm-hmm. but I keep doing all the old things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we got to upgrade the software, our own. Yeah. Software, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. This is awesome. Uh, so Tash, um, thank you. This has been a beautiful conversation. I, I definitely think we gave birth to some gems and some nuggets that people can take away and use in their own lives. So for my listeners, for my audience that would like to connect with you, hire you, work with you, maybe just even follow you on Instagram or wherever, how can they do so? My Instagram is my name, Natasha L. Helwig, H-E-L-W-I-G. That's the best place. I'm responsive. DM me. um, And then we would get on a connection call if they're interested in working together and just decipher like what they need support with, if I'm the right fit or not, and if our vibes match and we'll go from there. Awesome. Amazing. Well, Tash, thank you so much. And for my listeners, as you guys know, I like to end each episode by saying this. If you really just want to impress people, um, just talk about your your wins, your successes, your accolades, all that other fancy material stuff. But if you really want to have an impact on someone else's life, talk about your downfalls, share your failures, the moments where things weren't going so well. That's how you really move the needle in someone else's life. So with that being said, Tash and I are out. Peace and love. Until the next time. Look what-